Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right. You ready? Let's go. From Fox 4 News in Kansas City. Are we rolling? Are we on? Hello. I'm Nick Vassos. <laughs> this is Signal Hill. Thirteen new doors are opening for veterans inside the tiny homes village at 89th and Troost in Kansas City, Missouri. The Veterans Community Project has grown to 26 houses with a veteran who needs help inside each one of those tiny homes. The Veteran Community Project is on a mission to eliminate veteran homelessness by providing transitional housing and services to help vets get back on track. The CEO and co-founder of VCP, medically retired after being injured in Afghanistan, his name is Chris Stout. And he has now made it his mission to serve veterans. Chris Stout is also named as one of CNN's top 10 heroes of 2018. And with Veterans Day just right around the corner, we say good morning and welcome into Signal Hill. Chris Stout, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, and, and thank you uh, for your service, too, now, in the military and, of course, now what you're doing here uh, in the Kansas City area. You must be proud of the accomplishments that... Uh, from the initial planning that took place in 2015 uh, to now 26 homes. Congratulations. As you look back on it now, what, what are you thinking? What are, what are your thoughts? You know, the most uh, mind-boggling thing is, is, you know, going back to the day standing in that field where it was just trees and then now looking where I have 49 pads or, you know, 26 houses and, you know, 23 pads. That's what kind of, you know, pushes me back and, you know, is is mind-boggling for me because, you know, originally I thought I was gonna have that done in six months. You know, and fast forward now, and it's three years, and we're serving people, and you know, the vets that are in the homes now, they're like family, and you know, I go through and I hug, you know, those individuals every day. You know, that is what, man, that, mm-hmm. that's what's moving for me. Yeah, you just said that you thought it was gonna take six months, but here we are, you know, three, four years later. There were some challenges along the way. Uh, how did you overcome those hurdles, those challenges? What kept you going? Well, I'll tell you, I had no experience in building at all. And uh, we had a volunteer day, and we had a guy come out and say, hey, you had no sewer on the property. So that was the first challenge. Um, but what we didn't have was a plan B. We just had an idea. We are like, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to execute it. So we just kept plugging away, plugging away. You know, we had dozens hundreds of people telling us no you can't do it try again try something else I'm like no this is what we're going to do you know we we're just a bunch of military guys that had no other plan but we had a mission and we were going to accomplish it it's exactly just, what it sounds like it sounds like a mission you kept kept getting no's but you were finding other ways to complete the mission absolutely and then bringing in great people within the city the community that you know supported us and just we're like, hey, we're going to help you get there, you know, because we couldn't have done it ourselves. You know, we, like I said, we didn't know how to build houses. We didn't know how to put in infrastructure. We didn't even know how to raise money. But, you know, we brought in great people that, man, that was their expertise. Let's let's talk about that decision. Let's, let's talk about where you were back in 2015. You really took a leap of faith. I mean, you poured just about everything that you had saved up. Uh, you, you were married. You're about to take a really big leap of faith what was going on in your mind what were the feelings around it what did your wife say about this leap of faith that you were about ready to embark on how did how, what was tell us about that <laughs> you know myself and my buddies we were all working for you know other organizations and we just saw some gaps in services um, you know we were trying to do it ourselves and you know we were sitting around and we just thought that there had to be a better way you know we thought we could at least serve these guys, you know, our own way, what we thought was right. You know, when it comes to my wife and, <laughs> you know, making that commitment, <laughs> that dive, um, 
I, I will tell you, the, the first time that we, uh, you know, we, we utilized our house as collateral, you know, for a loan to kind of make this thing happen, um, you know, it was extremely nerve-wracking, and, you know, she was in tears. and It hurts. Um, yeah, well, you know, you get yourself to a point in life where you think yeah, everything's good, you know, we're kind of clicking, and then, you know, you, you just you have to go either all in, and I think that the fact that we went all in, and, you know, it just wasn't me, but it was kind of everybody involved, you know, all the founders that, you know, kind of got this thing going, we all did it. You know, we all left our previous jobs because, you know, we were all doing well, and when we all made that decision to do it, um, I think that's what really got the community behind us. You know, they believed because we believed, and whenever we made that choice, you know, that's when everybody just started supporting. You know, they're like, if we could do it, you know, they were going to do it. How did you find your, your co-founders? They are uh, fellow brothers. They're, they're veterans. How did you find each other? Yeah, so that's, that's kind of a, a really cool story. So I had, uh, I was working for another nonprofit, and, uh, you know, through that, that connection, I had met all of those guys. They were, I connected veterans uh, through a call center, and so um, the vets would call. They needed help, and so I would outsource them to the most appropriate resource. And so they all did different things throughout the city. Um, one of my buddies, he housed them. One provided free legal services. One helped uh, with housing repair, you know, and then my other buddy, he did real estate. So I was just kind of able to pull them all in. And they were all like-minded. You know, these are the guys that would uh, stay up later. They would work on the weekends and they were investing their own money outside their program's resources. So those were the guys that I was able to lean on. You know, I was able to call them. They did what it took to serve these guys when they needed help. When their programs didn't fit the needs of the veteran, they did what it took to serve them. They did what was right. And so whenever we were like, hey, let's start something, those were the right guys to call. Tell us, tell us a little bit about them. Tell us, tell us who the co-founders are. Yeah, so uh, when we first started going, it was uh, Kevin Jameson and I, uh, you know, he uh, worked with housing. Um, we were just working on putting people into housing, and we got creative with it. You know, it was the best fit, and we were doing that all across the city. Um, Kevin served uh, 20 years in the Marine Corps and uh, just a good old guy. Um, then we had Mark Solomon. Mark uh, still serves in the Navy. Um, he's a real estate guy. Now. You know, I tease him all the time because in the Navy, you know, he's just that one <laughs> oddball guy that's in the Navy. So, you know, I'll never champion the fact that he was in the Navy. But, you know, he is, you know, probably the most genuine, good-hearted dudes. You know, you call him, he'll give the shirt off your back. Um, and we have Brian Meyer. He's our uh, chief legal officer, working full-time. You know, he had a great job at a local law firm. Um, I met him uh, when we were working with the uh, the Kansas City Metro Bar Association's Legal Matters program. You know, he and I were on the operating committee whenever that first was starting up here in town. And so whenever we were trying to get this thing off the ground, you know, as a new nonprofit, you know, having a, an attorney on staff is really helpful. And then, you know, when you're working with the homeless population, sometimes that is the reason that they're homeless is some of the legal issues that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So it's a great resource to bring in. You know, he's a Marine, so I always tease him about being a Marine and how he passed the bar exam. I'm not real sure, you know, that whole <laughs> being a Marine and, and passing the bar exam, you know, they traditionally don't mesh well. There sounds um, like some healthy camaraderie oh, between yeah. Army, Marine Corps, oh, yeah. Navy. Oh, what a what a group. Oh, and, and I'm sure if he's watching, he's going to um, – I'll get mine when I get back to the office. So, um, And then we have Brandon. Uh, Brandon, most genuine dude you'll ever meet. Um, you know, he had construction b background. You know, I had met him at another veteran-centric event. And, uh, you know, when I was working with the other organization, he, uh, you know, we had a lot of vets that, you know, would receive code violations from the city. Um, they couldn't maintain their homes, their older vets, things like that. And I'd be able to call him, and he would go do the repairs or clean up the yard, things like that. Well, whenever we started, we built our very first tiny home model. He came in. And he and I built that in 12 days. Um, we spent a lot of time together within a 240-square-foot space, so we got really close real quick. Mm -hmm. um, but very genuine guy. Um, and he actually single-handedly kind of orchestrated the building of our first 13. 
and uh, and he did that within 31 days. You know, and for that, that's the equivalent of building like a 3,500 square foot house with 13 bathrooms, 13 kitchens, 13 roof lines. So that's a pretty amazing feat. So, you know, all these guys, you know, kind of came together to do this amazing thing, you know, with not much experience with tiny homes and, you know, specifically a homeless population and transitional housing to do this great thing. So that's, that's the team. Let's talk about your own experience. Uh, you were wounded in Afghanistan. Uh, in 2005, and uh, that sent you back uh, back home. Um, and I'm wondering, uh, aside from the physical injuries you may have had, did you also bring back some invisible injuries when you when you came back home from war? Yeah, and you don't realize that at first. You know, at least I didn't. Um, I thought it was just the the leg injury I had, and you know, I came home and I kind of dealt with that. Um, and then you go through divorce. You think it's normal. You start working, you kind of deal with the transition. Uh, you know, it wasn't until I worked a couple jobs and um, really struggled, you know, because of bouncing around. And I had never kind of dealt with that before because I am a strong employee and all that other stuff. And uh, then I finally went to the VA and I had somebody at the VA said, hey, how come you're not being treated for this? How come, you know, we're not looking at this? And then finally I started going down that path and, okay, well, there's a traumatic brain injury there. There's post-traumatic stress there. And that's kind of when things started falling into place for me. I took a little break, school for a bit. And then I started working on this one great employer. And, you know, she gave me an opportunity. You know, even with all, you know, going through the VA and the medical system and, uh, you know, kind of going through that, you know, that roller coaster, that kind of ride as we're going through that recovery and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. You know, I had this great employer that gave me a chance. And I think that uh, some of that attributes to, you know, where I'm at today. If I didn't have that, I would be in a much different place. Mm -hmm. I'd probably still be just collecting my disability check and Social Security today. And, you know, I think for some it's not a real healthy choice. But hadn't been for that employer, I'd, you know, I wouldn't be here. I guarantee it. I'd be isolated. Yeah. And I'd probably still be sitting in my on my couch and you know, drinking beer and, you know, playing video games, you know, some different version of where I'm at today. And, um, you know, it was a great experience. You know, they worked with me, they dealt with all my medical issues and they allowed me to grow within the company, which allowed me to do different things. And then, you know, I had an opportunity. Um, uh, the United Way posted a job here in town, uh, want, wanting somebody that had some experience with the local VA and other local veterans nonprofits. And, so I applied for that job, and uh, I joke all the time when that job came open, I was like, you're either going to give it to me or I'm going to sit out here until you hire me, right? <laughs> um, and it was a great experience for me. Um, I, that's where I kind of found uh, my, my niche, if you will. You know, working with vets kind of recharged me, and I was able to connect with all the people that I brought on for VCP. You know, but I also opened up my eyes where I saw that um, – you know, some of the organizations we worked with, you know, kind of created a silo, and I felt like they said no before they said yes, you know, or didn't go out of their way to kind of create a reason to serve people. And that was the basis for Veterans Community Project. And so that's what led me into this is, hey, we want to say yes first. Tiny houses came second. You know, I think everybody knows us for that real shiny, the really cool tiny houses, but we're the place that says yes first. Mm-hmm the tiny houses were okay well now that we say yes first we probably need a place to solve what got them there yeah uh we'll talk about that because there is more to the vcp than than, than just the jewel which are the houses there's a lot more that goes goes into that but um i think the reason why those tiny tiny houses are there is because of your own experience because you chose a, a different path you chose to be engaged uh and that ended up working for you we've we've heard uh the, the statistic, 20 veterans die by suicide uh, every day across this country, and many of them are in isolation or they're not on uh, veteran services. Um, and, and, and when they try to get veteran services, they, they may be discouraged. I'm wondering in your own experience through uh, that initial job with maybe the United Way or, or, or working with veterans, how that helped you stay engaged and how it helped you avoid isolation and, and uh, get to a better place that you could um, 
feel good about yourself, and, and more importantly, reach out to other veterans and help them. So I, to your point, one of the biggest things that what I could see from working there was that when veterans finally do reach out, you know, we're a very proud group. We're not reaching out when we need $20. You know, we're reaching out when our backs are against the wall, when, you know, the, the cars are getting repoed, they're on the tow truck. You know, when they're getting evicted, it's because the sheriff is knocking on the door, right? So that's when they're reaching out. So um, if they're getting passed around or they're being told no, and they're, you know, facing down the barrel of the gun or however it is to choose to take their life, it's because they have, they feel like they have no other choice. You know, they have nowhere to turn. You know, they can't ask anymore. They've already asked, and now they have nothing left. And so that's why it was so important for us. You know, and I think we say it all the time. We wanted to create a place that said yes. So yeah, we say yes first. Kind of irrelevant what the question is that they're asking. Mm-hmm. We say yes, we'll figure it out, right? Whether it's we do it ourselves or we connect them with the most appropriate place, but that's why we do it. And that was the basis is because when we started it, you know, you, you pick up the phone and then you pass them off to somebody and you're passing them off to the wrong place or you're passing them off to the place that says, well, no, sorry, you're not the right kind of veteran or you didn't serve in the right time. Well, for us, that was a very frustrating thing. You know, we were spending our whole day defining a vet. Well, listen, to us, the brave act was the fact you raised your hand to defend our constitution, you know, that's enough, you know, so we'll, we'll sort it all out. So come to us, we'll say yes, we'll, we'll sort it out, we'll, we'll fix it, right? And we'll get you the right person because we don't want that because we know that if you're asking, you're probably against the wall anyways. Mm-hmm. So we don't want you to head down that path. So it was that experience. So, yeah, to your point, absolutely. It was, you know, the, the, the calls started getting so overwhelming that, you know, had to start prioritizing that stuff. And for me, I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'll never work at a place where I have to prioritize, you know, people's situations. I'm just going to create a place that my doors are open and I get to say yes. Because that can live with you. I mean, when you have to go through that process, because you care, you know, and you, you, in some ways, when you were in that situation of, of, of prioritizing, you're almost carrying that with you away from there. And that, that can be, I mean, that can be a really hard burden to carry. Well, I'll tell you. When you're in the military, you feel like you're given a job, and and I felt like I took that with me, right? So my job was to serve these guys, right? And it was to solve their their problems, right? So mm-hmm. if they came to me for help, whether it was get their utilities turned back on, assist with rent, or house them, whatever that was for them, that was my I was their problem solver. Connect them with the right people, and if I couldn't do that, I was letting them down. And I wasn't just letting them down. I was letting their families down. But I was letting people I may have served with down. But I was letting people down that were in a situation only because they made one decision different than I did, right? That They're only in that situation because they may not have had the same support I had because of one thing. That's it. That's the only thing that distinguishes them from me is one person or because of one decision. And... For me to say, all right, sorry, I have to end this call, that was, I, yeah, that was the toughest thing. And I will tell you, that was one of the things that ate me up. That was one of the things that, like, really drove me to this. And, uh, you know, I, I can tell you that, uh, you know, if you were to ever have a conversation with my wife, she would tell you that, you know, it was some of the most stressful times for me because I was just daunt. I was inundated with these, these emotions, you know, and... Um, you know, I would just start, like, you know, it was easier just for me to pay, pay for hotels out of my pocket. Those are your brothers. Yeah, you know, because the reality is, is if, it, if I were in that situation and they could do it for me, they would have. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't even think twice about it. They'd be like, hey, I got you. They would square me away, and unequivocally. And, you know, and the thing is, is I see that in the community now because look what I'm doing. I'm providing these services, and the community is just returning it tenfold. They're showing up. You know, we just did these last 13 houses, and there wasn't a day I had less than 60 volunteers there. And th- and I will tell you, I had that number, but that's because I limited it. There were some days we had 200. There were some days we could have had more, but we 
had what we could handle. And there's days where we have people who show up and just wanting to donate more and more and more. And we have to limit what we can because we're only so big, you know. So I know that people will return the favor. So it tore me up inside to not be able to do the same. Do you think you could have pulled this off in any other city other than Kansas City when it comes to community help? Oh, I don't. I, I think that the fact that we did it in Kansas City first is going to allow us to do it in other cities because Kansas City is leading by example. I think one of the greatest things that we did, and I will tell you, it was pure accidental. We didn't know what we were doing because we were guessing. But we brought it to the city, the city of Kansas City, you know, and they championed this, you know, and I, I will tell you, they, they owned it, they, they took it on, you know, the, the mayor, the city council, they helped us get this through the planning and zoning, because that is a very tricky thing, and uh, they moved it very fast, you know, apparently building a subdivision, which is what we do, doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen within a three-year period, well, we got that done, and that wasn't, you know, by accident, it was because the city supported this project. And, and they championed it for us. Well, and I'll tell you, the city gets calls all the time from other communities saying, how did you guys get this through the system? Because other communities want to do the same thing. They just can't figure it out. So they got creative. They made magic happen. It was all them. And then the community stepped up and said, they took a chance on us. I mean, we're a young nonprofit. I mean, you know, for us to receive what we have in such a short amount of time, that's people taking a chance. You know, and we, and we hear it from time to time. Like, listen, you guys have only been around for two years. You guys have only been around for three years. You know, we can't make that kind of donation. But what we can do is give back product or we can give labor. And, like, hey, that's what we need. I need infrastructure put in. You know, hey, I need <laughs> houses built. I need money, too, but I don't, you know, I can use a house being built, you know. So we, we, we have the saying that, um, you know, because we, we have 49 houses being built. I don't necessarily need one person to do all 49. I'll have 49 people do one. <laughs> one. Right? Yeah. So that's kind of our running thing. But And we have an overabundance of people offering to do 49. So, If someone wants to help who's listening to this podcast right now or maybe listening on Facebook Live right now, how, how could somebody uh, volunteer? So there's a number of ways. They can go to our website, veteranscommunityproject.org, or they can call us, um, 816. I'm going to get this wrong. or they can come by the Outreach Center, 8900 Troost. Okay. So just any of those ways. And everybody's always welcome to come by. We love it when people come by because you get to meet the veterans. You get to see the site. It's an an awesome thing. We'll talk about the process here in just one second, but let's talk about the the blueprint here. And you touched on that other communities uh, around the nation have reached out to you and your co-founders about what you've done here in Kansas City. And, and they've said, well, we would love to take this uh, back to our city. Um, you know, I guess just, I mean, that's just like a wow factor and, and, and a realization of what you're doing here could work in other cities here. What, uh, you know, what can you tell us about what you've been able to share with other communities about maybe getting other uh, VCPs in, in other cities around the nation? So we've had more than 600. 600? 600 communities reach out to us. Wow, and, that, and I will tell you, since that CNN article ran, it's probably much higher. Um, you know, and and that's just—I think that's a testament to what Kansas City has been able to do. You know, they see this as as a great model. You know, it's it's it's. I think it's a common sense approach. You know, adding dignity to a shelter style, you know, rehab program. You know, which is amazing. Um, you know, we're we're currently working with three cities right now. You know, we're working uh, Nashville. We're working in St. Louis, and then we're working in the Denver area, so specifically Longmont, uh, Colorado. Um, I think we will have dirt moved next year, this time in Colorado. You know, that's our goal is to actually have houses up and going this time next year in Colorado. So we're plugging away. Um, you know, we we want to try to replicate the way we did it here. You know, work with the city, make sure there's a need make sure the community can support it. So one of the unique things about us is we take no federal money, you know, so we're, we're all community-supported. You'll oversee those projects from, from here in Kansas City, the, 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 the next VCPs in other cities? Absolutely, yeah. So I have personally, I've transitioned more out of the daily operations role 
because that used to be my specific role. Mm-hmm. And now I, I spend about half my time in one of those cities all the time now. Well, let's, let's take you back to your uh, daily operation role, and let's talk about veterans and how, how they are connected to you. Um, you mentioned earlier that in, on any given night there are how many veterans uh, homeless here in Kansas City? So Veterans Community Project would feel that there's about 120, 130 veterans on any given night. You know, and we, we would get that number, you know, based off of what we see comes into that stand down every year. Mm-hmm. And then what we see walks in our door. You know, we see anywhere from 30 to 75 veterans walk in our door every day. Oh, wow. And a good percentage of those are requesting housing assistance. What happens when they come through the door and ask for house, uh, housing assistance? What happens after that? So most of the veterans that walk in our door, a lot of them are coming in for our flagship, what we call our flagship program, which is our free bus pass, which we partnered with the KCTA on. Um, but if they're looking for housing assistance, then we put them with our veteran resource coordinator. Um, then they're kind of triaged. You know, so one of the great things that we do is not duplicate other programs. So we work very closely with a lot of the other programs that are already going on in the city, whether that's uh, the SSVF program or the HUD-VASH program you know, or any of the other non-veteran programs. But what we do is we assess their situation, look at their veteran status, just look at their general life status, and just kind of do an intake with them. And then we triage where is the most appropriate. If we have an open house, then we'll do an intake with them and see if the most appropriate program is us. And if not, then we'll assess them and then move them into the most appropriate. But we basically, just short of holding their hand, mm-hmm. walk them through that process to make sure that they're guided you know, every step of the way. Because a veteran who, who needs housing assistance, who wants housing assistance, may not be ready for it. And in, in, in a case like that, you would guide that veteran to a, to a place where they could get some help. Is that right? Is that fair enough to say? That, that is, you're spot on, right? Because not every veteran who is homeless is ready to be housed or wants to be housed, right? So there's, I think there's two different things. That's a good distinction. They may not want to be housed, too. Right. I mean, we work with a number of veterans that are absolutely content where they're at. And so what we do is we stay engaged with them, stay connected, and provide them the tools and the things that they need to be successful where they're at. You know, I think the idea is to continue to build trust, and that way when they're ready, we're the people that they turn to. You know, because, you know, I think the the... The number is, you know, you have to engage them 37 times before you have that trust built, before they're ready to kind of come to you. You know, and I think that's more for those that have been out there for a significant amount of time. Mm -hmm. What we're finding is some of our older veterans, you know, the Vietnam era guys, you know, their bodies are starting to fail, you know, so they're getting tired. The weather, you know, we see a lot of it, especially when it gets cold. They're like, you know what, last winter was my last winter. I'm ready to kind of come in. And so for them, that's what flips the switch. So we'll see a lot of them kind of come in. And that's when we want to be ready. Like, all right, well, here's the key to your home. You know, if you're ready to make that, here's what we can offer. And we'll start working with them on budgeting, getting their health in order, on their benefits, all the above, so we can square them away. Because some of these guys may never work again. And Mm -hmm. so I don't think we're naive enough to think, all right, job training, all the above. But we want to do what's right for their situation. Now, in return, you need to ask something of the veteran that they need to do as well. What kind of conversation and what kind of conversation is that like? So we make it, we ask them to make a commitment to us. We ask them to attend our group sessions, you know, one-on-one case management. One thing that's unique, what we believe is unique here in Kansas City, we have an eight-to-one case management ratio. So they're meeting with their case manager daily so that that way maintain their motivation we can know what their situation is daily that way we know that they're whether they're going to work they're going to a medical whatever it is that they're doing they're continuing down that right path if there's a substance abuse issue we're addressing that whether it's inpatient or outpatient treatment but they're staying down that path so that's what we ask from them we ask for them to stay engaged you know we are a transitional housing program we're not a permanent housing program and so we make that very clear from the beginning Listen, we ask for motivation, and we understand motivation may be high day one or even day 15, and day 32 might be low. 
you know, these guys are going to go up and down. Mm -hmm. But as long as they stay engaged with us, we're going to continue to to move with them. You know, and so what we don't do is we say, all right, well, you have 60 days to execute this plan. You know, because what we understand is that life happens. You know, as we we lay out their background and we say, all right, this is our plan. And let's say we say, all right, we assume it's going to take six months or eight months to solve this plan. Well, something may happen in there. You know, something in their background may come up, the le an old legal issue. All right, it may push it back another two months. But that's not going to be detrimental to their success within Veterans Community Project because life happens. And we, we don't want that to be – we don't want that timeline to be the first thing that destroys their success. So it's a fluid timeline, but as long as they're always progressing forward, they're welcome to stay. It's when they become stagnant mm -hmm. or they choose not to participate that we have to reevaluate whether VCP is the right place for them. Typically, how long do veterans stay? So for us, we hope that six to eight months is that sweet spot. Mm -hmm. You know, about a year we start reevaluating, hey, uh, is that the, the right thing? I can tell you right now, we moved our first veterans in January 31st. Of those 13, we've successfully transitioned eight. So, so if you look at the time frame, now I will tell you, we what we're taking into consideration we're very case management management intensive right now so you know i think we're at five to one ratio with our case managers we're doubling our residency right now we're, we're going to be at a true eight to one so if that slows down then we'll go back to a five to one ratio so we're playing around with it but i think that's one of the beauties of what we do because we're not we're not funded by the government we don't have grants that say hey you have to stick to these guidelines so we're going to keep kind of playing with what we can do because that's what we want to be what was your goal before that when when you moved in the 13 veterans were were you thinking that you could help all 13 or did you know that some of them wouldn't be able to graduate and what were your initial thoughts then and then when you did graduate eight out of the transitional housing uh and independent living what was that did you consider that a success well i'll tell you eight of the 13 at this point i mean we're extremely successful i mean that's a phenomenal rate i will tell you that uh you know we've transitioned two that we felt weren't a good fit for us and one that just he didn't mesh well with the community you know which was a very for me it's very defeating you know that's the stuff that keeps me up at night mm -hmm. you know what what's going on in our community you know what are we doing wrong what can i do better you know I, I own all that you know i i figure that's that's a me thing and you know is it really a me thing but I, i'm going to own it all day because you know i'm very close to everybody that we bring in you know i talk to every resident that that, that gets a home and uh you know so i feel like they're my friends and you know if they're not working out and then they come back in the door later on for additional assistance you know, for me, uh, I'm going to do what it takes, you know, because I, I want to, you know, I don't want to fail. I feel like I'm failing them, and I feel like we're the best program out there, even though we may not be, you know, that's what I feel like. And so, I don't know. I feel like we could have done something different or better, even though the reality is is we're not subject matter experts in every like category. There, Sorry about that. Sorry about this. I'm getting on our Facebook page right now because I bet you we've got some people out here who would love to ask you some questions. Um, were you able to identify uh, a couple of things that maybe that those veterans uh, weren't getting that they could have need, which could have kept them on the right track? Absolutely. We made some adjustments to our intake process, and uh, we, we, we added another interview to it, and you know, we brought on another team member you know, to make some adjustments just you know, to kind of do a full-on wraparound you know and the other thing that we did is when we first moved in all 13 I moved all 13 people in at once same day which I'm gonna tell you uh, you have a plan until you get punched in the face and then things change real quick <laughs> I'm just gonna <laughs> say that real quick right now so you this, learned a big lesson yeah I did yeah uh, you know so um, you know with our you know the new team members we brought on um, and I'll tell you, I wanted, they brought it to my attention. I was like, all right, we got 13 houses in. We're moving 13 people in. He's like, time out. He's like, let's reevaluate what happened last time. 
So he brought some things to my attention that I hadn't even thought about. My thing is, I have 13 houses. I need 13 people. You know, from a promatic standpoint, mm-hmm. I need to house people. He's like, wait, let's phase these guys in. That way everybody integrates well together. You know, that way we can acclimate. You know, and those are things I don't think about. Because me, I'm just like, it's cold. There's people out on the street. Let's house them, right? And so there's other things we got to think about as we grow. And, um, you know, and now I think we have a great team on staff that kind of helps me rethink that, right? Absolutely. So what happens to the five, the, the, those five that didn't, uh, you know, that were, that were transitioned out for whatever reason? Are, I imagine you stay engaged with them. Uh, they can still contact you and maybe get some help. Maybe they, maybe they go away for a while and realize, you know, maybe, maybe I do need to take a look at myself uh, again and do some self-inventory here and, and find out what I could do to, to, to help. What, what happens to those five and where can they go from there? Well, we still have three of the originals okay. in, in the homes, and uh, the two that we transitioned, um, we transitioned them into different programs that are more appropriate. And I will tell you that uh, one of the individuals has come back, you know, he's moved into permanent housing on his own, and we've had a very real conversation. You know, he's like, listen, man, I just wasn't ready to be there. He's like, but listen, I'm working, you know, I need some rent assistance, and we deposit, so we've got him kind of squared away, and we still support him. You know, mm-hmm. it was kind of a, a great thing for him to say, hey, I'm sorry I didn't invest everything into what you guys were providing, but I worked it out all on my own, and I'm here now. I'm ready to go. And he's got a great job providing on his own, and he was ready to kind of move forward on his own. So even though he didn't do it with us, you know, we were able to kind of support him still in a different way, which is super important for us, you know. Um and then we, we still have three that are original, and, you know, we have we have uh, one of them is preparing to transition within the next few weeks, you know, with us for a long time, been uh, reconnected with the family, working, saving, all that great stuff, and just ready to rock and roll. The other will be with us for a few more months, so. Chris Stout is the CEO and co-founder of the Veterans Community Project. Chris Stout, also named as one of CNN's top 10 heroes of 2018. We're uh, seeing here on our Facebook feed that uh, you can vote uh, 10 times for Chris every single day. So let's stuff the ballot box (laughs) for Chris. Uh, Hopefully we'll get a winner here uh, in Kansas City. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the the eight veterans who you've transitioned out and I've done some uh, conversations and, and we've done some stories about veterans who, who live with PTSD and, and oftentimes they tell me PTSD is not curable, but it's recoverable. And of those eight veterans who move out of uh, the VCP and into individual housing, apartments, homes, their working jobs, they still need some. They still need camaraderie. They still need. Uh, uh, they need to realize their mission, and they still need their brothers around. Uh, how does VCP maybe help those who have moved on from the project and are now uh, living independently? Is there still a connection there? Do they still get a chance to, to come back and visit with their brothers? And and how do you help them once they move on? So absolutely, that's one. Of, what we feel is that's one of the unique things about us, right? Is that whole follow-on care, right? So we have somebody that touches base with them. Some of them more often than others, depending on what we feel that they're ready for. So some of our veterans will be talked to every other week, some once a month, depending on their level of readiness, what we feel it is. But we, we have somebody that does their follow-on touch, right? But they're always welcome. They get invited to all of our events. You know, just, hey, the, what we feel is kind of what got him there was some form of trauma, whether it was from the military or some life trauma. It got them to where they're at. But what we want them to always realize is, you know, while they were in the military, they always had this community, right? Whether it was in the barracks or in the platoon, all the above, right? They had that support system. Well, we want them to know that they still have that. Even though they're not in the village, they still have that support system. They show up in the office. They've got friends. They've got family. That's what we are to them. I mean, we're all very, very close to everybody that ever walks through our door. I mean, we're here for them. Um, one of the one of the stories I like to tell is we we had a, this lady, and this is right before we started housing. We weren't even housing, and 
which makes us very unique to what we can do because we don't take that federal dollar is she had come in and she lived a few blocks up the street and she had um, her needed money for a car payment she had rented uh, bought a car from one of those car places that could turn it off or whatever if you don't miss a car payment she needed her phone turned back on and she'd come in for a bus pass because she was applying for a job at the TSA so from where we're off, where we are at off of Troost, it's about a two-hour bus ride all the way to the airport, you know, and they don't run that early. Her All of her interviews were five in the morning. She couldn't get there in time. So we're like, all right, so we were able to get her car going. We were able to get her phone up, get her some food because she was had no money for food, and then we gave her a little gift card so she could put fuel in her car and whatnot. And we thought, okay, you know, she's good to go. She comes back is a few days later. She needed some more food. She has a kid in the house. No big deal. And it, I don't see her for about a month. And then I remember I was leaving town, and I'm going through TSA, and I'm a bit frustrated. And you know, because the line's long, and I'm about to miss my <laughs> right. flight, right? And she she pipes up for back. She goes, "Chris, relax." I was like, "Who knows me here?" <laughs> and then. I was like, oh my gosh, I recognize her. But she's doing phenomenal. You know, and she hasn't, I mean, now, this is almost a year later, she's still working at the TSA. She's been promoted and thriving. Just thriving. I see her all the time now at the airport. And just, she comes to our annual event now and she buys her own ticket. I mean, just, just, she's gone from this, and she hugs me every time I'm at the airport. Um, just it's phenomenal. Bet you that hug feels good. Oh, it is. It's it's. I mean, I mean that that's what you know we do. You know, those are the things that we do. But it's really cool because she like if we post volunteer. That's events, not about the house. It's not about the house, but it's about what we do. Yeah. It's about you know the fact that we can do stuff immediately to serve these people that need help, and. I think we can do it with a common sense approach as opposed to passing them around, right? Mm-hmm. Say, oh, okay, call this person or hold on a second, you know, we got to get approval. It's going to take three days, you know, because she had an interview the next day. And so we needed to do things right then. And now, I mean, we've basically made this impact on her life that I think has changed her forever. And now she's giving back to us because she volunteers for us and she, you know, comes to our fundraise. I mean, it's just phenomenal to see you know, just what a little bit of help has done. And the thing is, is had we not been able to provide that, had, let's say, her car been repoed and she not been able to pay her rent, we would have been housing her. You know, we would have had to provide her with a, a tiny house. And then the, so our return on our investment initially has been exponential because it would have been thousands of dollars down the road mm-hmm. versus a few hundred, you know. So for me, it's, you know, that's what we do. That's that's the best part. Should we see if we can get some uh, Facebook questions here, Chris? Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's see here. Christina Cost, uh, she asks, what are some uh, low-cost things that we could bring in to help? Snacks, water, things for houses. Do you accept things from the public? We do, absolutely. So one of the really cool things uh, that we do is we, uh, we shoot out a, a list of needs for the homes. Um, I believe that's on our website, and it's definitely on our Facebook page. Um, so like bedding, uh, dishes, microwaves, silverware, things of that nature, uh, towels. Because every time uh, we put a veteran in a home and we, we uh, flip the house for a new veteran, we put all new stuff in there because the veteran, oh. when they transition, they can take all that stuff with them. Um, so uh, there's all those things that you can do. Uh, and absolutely, we always have snacks out um, for the vets when they come in, like walk-ins when they come in for bus passes, things like that. And it's our volume always spikes, especially as the weather turned. And as everybody knows, we got snow yesterday. Yeah. So <laughs> this is a big need for us. So absolutely, those are great things to bring in. And, of course, uh, you just recently uh, completed 13 new houses, so it brings a total of 26. Have you placed veterans in the 13 houses already, or will that, will that process be kind of going forward here over the next few weeks and months? So we'll move in um, four veterans on Monday. Well, technically five because we flipped one of the original 13 so uh, we're moving in five veterans on monday uh, and then in a week we'll move in another four and so we'll be moving them in sets of four moving forward so 
um, yeah, over the next month or so, we'll be filling that next 13. And when the veterans get there, is, is there any cost to them to live in the, hel- in the homes? So no cost. Um, what, we, what we do is we have the house fully furnished, bedding, everything. Uh, we stock it full of groceries. That way they're good to go. You know, that's one of the things that we, we want to give them a key to a home, allow them a couple weeks to kind of acclimate to the community, learn how we work, and just not have to really worry about anything, just kind of decompress. Mm-hmm. And then after, you know, the one, two weeks, you know, that's really time to dig in, set that plan into motion, and kind of start cranking away. And just in general, what would be a, a day in the life of a veteran who's been recently placed into one of those tiny homes? They've been, you've, you've gone through the intake, you've kind of established what their needs are, you've lined up some services that, uh, potentially that they could go and, and, and get some help for what they need. What's, what's, their, what's their day like at the VCP? So the day is going to be like, the idea is, is those homes are educational tools. So they're going to be allowed to do it on their own time with a lot of follow-up from us. So they're going to have scheduled case management meetings. So they're going to be expected to attend those. And those will vary for every individual, depending on what appointments they set for themselves. So as long as they attend those meetings, um, they're going to have follow-up and they're basically going to be checking boxes. And as long as they're checking boxes, you know, coming back with their proper paperwork and sending off with the right stuff, everybody's going to be moving forward, you know, and having follow-up. And then they're going to have a meeting with the clinical director and their case manager. I think it's every other week, you know, just see where they're at as long as they're moving forward. But aside from that, the idea isn't for us to do everything but to teach them to do it on their own. Show them that even though they're outside the military, they can set their own structure mm-hmm. and have that same success that they had in the military. So we're going to show them that they can do that without kind of, you know, saying, all right, PT at 6 in the morning. <laughs> you know, we don't want to do that to them. Let's see what you're um, – oh, Jerry Daniels uh, is weighing in here, and he says, how much do the houses cost to build on average, and uh, how much would you think they would normally – rent for if they were out on the market yeah so we get that question a lot so um i'll answer that question in in a couple different ways are the actual cost to build those homes like the real cost is about thirty five thirty six thousand dollars right that's the real cost but because we have a ton of great partners home depot um hardy board you know atlas roofing mitsubishi all these great people kiss it construction that have like really you know, donated a ton of their stuff, you know, E&K, sheetrock. I mean, there's a ton of stuff in those homes that we don't pay for. Um, but because instead of them writing a check, they've donated their services, their product, all of that great stuff, you know, Teague Electric. I mean, we, we haven't paid for wiring in those houses since we started this project. And it's because of companies like that and United Heating and Cooling. I mean, these great companies, local companies have like stepped up to do that stuff. We've brought our cost of the houses down to around five thousand, so that's our true cost. So we sell sponsorships to the home at fifteen thousand, and so what that does is it covers the cost of build, and it covers the cost to support the vet for the entire year. So the case management, the food, and to replenish the house. So that's that's kind of where we're at on the cost. Oh, okay. Um, now we do build these homes market grade, so everything's built to code. We have granite in these homes, and the granite's donated. Um, you know, these homes are very energy efficient. You know, our operating costs on these houses every month is just under 60 bucks, you know, which is really cool because we use tankless hot water heaters. Um, Teague does a really great job at, you know, LED lighting and the insulation that's donated is extremely energy efficient. So, you know, these houses are phenomenal. I think, you know, the cost to rent these, you know, where we're building them, you know, we'd be at seven, 800 bucks a month. You know, and then we have a couple that are family units, and those might be about nine hundred bucks a month. Wow. Uh, what's the typical reaction you get when a veteran walks through that door and into his home or her home? I, I will tell you, we get a couple. Most often, it's, they're in tears. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the people that we're serving, they're coming from that traditional shelter, where um, you know they're in that mode where they have to protect themselves. They, you know, have to always worry about their stuff. Where they're coming, we get this question, we get this thing, this statement a lot. Where I actually have my own door, you know, which uh, the first time I heard that, I didn't even 
I didn't even acknowledge the fact I have my own front door, you know, because oh. I always walk through it all the time. Wow. I don't even realize, you know, you know, I have a front door, but we hear that all the time. Like, I get my own front door, oh. you know, and for me, that was something I was like, okay, we're on the right path, mm-hmm. you know, because we're on the path to actually teaching these guys how to live on their own, housing with dignity, you know, that whole thing. So that, for me, that was, that's a, that's a huge thing, you know, and, you know, there's no communal bathrooms, anything like that. So, you know, we eliminate that whole um, risk, you know, that, that's out there. You know, they don't have to worry about stuff being stolen. They, they have their own door codes, you know, so that they can lock their, their structures. And, you know, our houses are designed with post-traumatic stress in mind. You know, we only have windows on one side where you can view the, walk, the, the path walking up, you know, and a window, one entrance, you know, so they're not doing perimeter checks. So, you know, it's, it's very purposeful built. And um, we do that for these guys intentionally. Why is there a window on only one side? Someone who may not be familiar with that may not understand uh, a veteran checking the perimeter, uh, or maybe a veteran chooses a certain seat in a restaurant so that they can see the front door, who's coming and going in, in the room. Tell us about why it's important to a veteran. Yeah, so a, a vet that is struggling with post-traumatic stress, you know, uh, you know, combat or not, you know, if they go into a public place, you know, most often you'll notice a group of vets, they'll try to get to the table first. They always want that table where they're facing the front, right? Um, they they will try to be cordial about it, but you know, and if they don't get it, they're always kind of looking over their shoulder. You know, it's kind of stressing, and they won't be able to enjoy their meal. Um, and if you, you if you're giving them a home, you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. They'll they'll always double check the locks, check their window locks. You know, they'll always check all the windows. You know, they're always kind of walking around. Um, and what we wanted to do is kind of prevent that, right? And it it was insane when we first built these things and we took our model everywhere everybody wanted to walk in our house and be like why don't you have a window over the sink you know because that's traditional right mm-hmm. and we're like well because <laughs> our kitchens are on the opposite side of the walking path and so we don't you know we're doing this for push from stress in mind mm-hmm. listen our windows are so that they can see people walking up during the day right and it, it was very intentionally built you know the windows only on the front you know it's so that we can see if something goes wrong, you know, if, if there's a need or a danger within the home. and But most importantly, just so that they're not doing complete per- perimeter checks. Yeah. We didn't want an exit out the back because we didn't want the vets to kind of freak out. And, um, you know, I mean, we were very concerned. We wanted them to come in, relax, and enjoy the home and not just kind of always be in that worried state, you know, and to hear sounds behind them and things like that. So oh, that's, That is really cool. What's ahead for VCP? So... You know, in, in Kansas City specifically, you know, uh, we're looking late February, early March to start cranking out the uh, next 23 houses. Um, hopefully before the end of this year, we'll get the foundation down for our community center. You know, they're on site. That's a 5,000 square foot building that will house medical, dental, barbershop, a community kitchen, um, and education uh, where we'll be able to teach these guys how to cook for themselves. Um, basically a one-stop shop. All the case managers will be housed there. Um, one-stop shop for all the residents. Um, and that's a building that's super, super important for us because um, as we grow and we get more residents, um, the building across the street, our outreach center, um, is getting extremely full with the veterans that we're serving the community as well as our residents. So um, that foundation will go down before this winter, so that way at the beginning of next year as we're building those homes, we can start the community center as well. And then for ZP as a whole, you know, we're going to start working in Colorado and then hopefully St. Louis are real soon. Uh, as of this recording right here for Signal Hill, uh, but for our Facebook uh, viewers out there right now, of course, Veterans Day is the Sunday, and it's uh, Armistice Day, celebrating the 100 years of uh, the Great War, World War One. You served in Afghanistan. You're an Army veteran. Uh, what does Veterans Day mean to you? For me, you know, it's a time to reflect, and it's a time to, you know, reconnect with, you know, people I served with, you know, um, you know, it's a time to serve, you know, and I know everybody always kind of beats me up. They're like, well, you're serving all the time, you know, but for me, it's a time to actually be present here and serve. You know, I get to, you know, be with these guys that are in the, in the houses and, you know, I get to, you know, and I get to say thank you. You know, we, we have a big annual event every year 
Um, and when we first started, it was really small. We had like 25, 30 people mm-hmm. um, because that's pretty much all we knew, you know, when we started this. <laughs> um, but now it's grown. Like we'll have 700 people at this event. It's a union station tomorrow. And, uh, and it's because we've grown that big. And that's I get to tell all these people thank you for helping us grow to this level, getting these houses done. So that's what it means for me. I People all the time thank me for my service, but I get to thank them for their service to us. You know, So that's what it is for me, you know, thanking them. How about those of us, like myself, who are so thankful for people like you uh, who decided to lay everything on the line to serve our country? Uh, how can we on Veterans Day do our part in saying thanks or, or honoring veterans or being a part, feeling a part of Veterans Day? What, what, could, what could we do? So in my opinion, mm-hmm. it's truly just making a connection with people, right? You know, I think everybody's like, well, you know, I thank people for their service, but, you know, shaking their hand and just giving them an embrace and hugging them, right? just letting them know that you see them, right? Maybe a conversation? A conversation, clearly. You know, our one of the things that we see, like, with uh, our, our residents is when they see groves of people walking down, you know, that little road in between our houses, mm-hmm. they, they always ask, like, why are all these people here? Like, well... They want you to know that they care about you. And our residents will be yours. You know, they're just taken aback. So for them, that's important. You know, because I think they've been kind of glossed over, you know, whether they're out on the corner flying that sign, you know, help me, or, you know, they're just kind of standing there. They're glossed over, you know. So just that true connection, you know, because that's what they want. They just, they, they really want to know that they're connecting with people, that they're, they're there. They're a part of the community. Well said. Chris Stout, he is the CEO and co-founder of the Veterans Community Project. The Veterans Community Project's goal is to eliminate homelessness by providing transitional housing and services to help vets get back on track. And again, you can vote for Chris, who has been named as one of CNN's top 10 heroes of 2018. You can do that at cnn.com slash heroes, I believe. I think that's where you can vote there. So fill up the ballot box for Chris. I think you can vote up to 10 times a day. Enjoy the conversation, Chris. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate you being here. And uh, best of luck. Continued success out there for the Veteran Community Project. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yep. Great to have you here. Uh, you can find Signal Hill on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So go to fox4kc.com and click on the podcast tab to subscribe to Signal Hill. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, as I just mentioned. And be sure to check our websites for uh, new episodes. I'm Nick Vassos, and for Chris Stout, thanks for listening to Signal Hill.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.